Father in heaven, I thank you for what we've seen here tonight. I am so encouraged. I want so much to feed into this moment for the sake of strengthening and awakening and clarifying and intensifying our commitment to reach lost people and to reach lost and unreached and unengaged peoples. Thank you, Father, for the increasing awareness among us all that the world is not simply made up of individual lost people, but these massive groupings of peoples with ethno-linguistic characteristics that have cut them off from indigenous witness, and they must have a missionary. Somebody's got to learn a language, cross a culture, plant the church, or there will be no one saved. And you have said you will have people from the nations, all of them. And so God grant, I pray, that at every level, our commitment to reaching lost people and peoples would increase. Come and help me now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it has become plain tonight that the last part of your mission statement is the lost world. Campus Outreach exists to glorify God by building laborers on the campus for the lost world. And my first question before we look at some texts is to ask what lost means. I don't think we should take that for granted, and it will be very, very important for us to get biblical ground under our feet in order to know what that word lost means. In English, it is a very flexible word, isn't it? It can mean lots of different things. You can misplace something, something that's in perfect working order, and you've just lost it, and you will find it tomorrow under the couch, and you'll put it back in your pocket, and it will be restored to its place of wonderful usefulness in your life. Or it can mean that he lost his entire savings in the stock market crash, and that will not be found under the couch, and it's gone forever. Or it might mean that we hear the dreaded words from the surgeon who's been desperately trying to save your sister after the automobile accident, the massive head injury, and he walks into the waiting room to say, we lost her. And everybody knows what that means. Or you might visit a little whaling village in Massachusetts and see a plaque in an old wooden building with a list of names and at the top, lost at sea. And they're not going to be found tomorrow. They're at the bottom of the ocean and they're not coming back. So the word in English is amazingly flexible. The interesting thing is, so is apolumi. The Greek word that 
12 out of the 15 times the English word lost occurs in the ESV New Testament, it is translating this word apolumi. The other three times are the place where salt has lost its flavor. It's a very specialized use. So if you trace out the meaning of apolumi, it has the same breadth and the same flexibility of meaning. So let's bore in for a few minutes on what it means that undergirds your statement of purpose. I'll give you three instances. Luke 15, 24, parable of the prodigal son. The father says to the older brother, this, my son, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So the parallel with lost is dead. When Jesus told that story, he knew exactly what he was saying. He had already said earlier in Luke to a man who wanted to follow him, he said, leave the dead to bury their dead. There are living dead and there are dead dead. The lost are the living dead. That's number one. Number two. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The lost don't just need finding, they need saving. They need to experience something that only Jesus can do. You can't do it. You can't save the lost, and that's precisely what they need, according to Luke 19. 10, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Third, John 17, 12. I have guarded them, the twelve. Not one of them has been lost, except for the son of perdition, the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas is lost. Not in the sense that he must be hiding somewhere and we can't find him, but that he is doomed to destruction. So, the lost are the dead. Ephesians 2, he made them alive who were dead in their trespasses and sins. Therefore, the natural man, Paul says, does not accept the, sing, the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. They are spiritually dead to spiritual reality. So lostness is deadness to spiritual truth, deadness to Christ, true of every human being apart from God's saving Grace. Our lostness is our deadness. And that's a condition of the will. The will is that faculty of the soul that inclines against something or for something. And the more intensely it inclines, the more we are tending to call it affections. So when the will is inclining to a thing zealously, that's affections. So Jesus says, 
They love the darkness rather than the light and will not come to the light. No lost person is being enslaved contrary to their will. Their enslavement is the intense inclination of their will in love with their autonomy, in love with their sin. It is so intense that they are dead to spiritual reality. We love our sin. And therefore, Paul says, we will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. And that is a horrific description of your campus and an accurate one. The unreached peoples of the world and the unreached students on your campus are dead and they're blind and they are unable to come because their will is enslaved to the love of the darkness. That's what lost means. When your mission statement says you are called to reach them. And I presume that means reach them with life for the dead and sight for the blind. What a calling. What a mission God calls you to do. And of course, you can't do it. Right? Because Jesus said, with regard to the rich young man, that coming into the kingdom is like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And when the disciples heard him say that, they threw up their hands and said explicitly, then who can be saved? And Jesus did not say, I was just, it was just an overstatement. That's not what he said. Do you remember what he said? He said, with regard to camels going through needles' eyes and people getting into the kingdom, with man it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That was his answer. So, yes. You are called to raise the dead, which you can't, and give sight to the spiritually blind, which you can't, and you must. And that's what this message is about. When that happens, when people who can't raise the dead and can't give sight to the blind, in fact, do raise the dead, and do give sight to the blind, you know what they say? Glory to God! Which is the beginning of your mission statement. And that's what you will say. If you understand your calling, and the impossibility of it, when you accomplish it, you will say with the Apostle Paul, 
Thanks be to God that you who were once enslaved to sin have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you've been committed. Paul had no illusions who was accomplishing this. And I don't want you to have any illusions either in your ministry. So now we're at 1 Peter. I have two passages of Scripture. This is one of them, and we'll look at one other. And the goal of looking at these two texts is to ask the question, how do students of every ethnicity and every people group, how do students who are dead and blind live and see through your agency? That's my question. Because there would be zero point in your existing as a ministry if you, you were not essential. And these texts are going to say, you can't do this and you are indispensable in doing this. That's what they're going to say. So let's look at verses 22 to 25. And I'm going to read it again. Now that you've heard where we're going, maybe you'll hear it with more care. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from the heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But this Word, the Word of the Lord remains forever. And what Word am I talking about? This Word is the good news, the gospel which was preached to you. Now let's go back and take a few pieces. Verse 22, this obedience to the truth that leads to brotherly love is not brotherly love. That's an argument. I'm trying to figure out what it means when it says you've purified your souls by obedience to the truth. And if you thought, well, obedience to the truth, we mean do what the truth says. The truth says love, so that can't be what it means. Why? Because the verse says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for love. This is called exegesis. This is called reading carefully. This is what you want to impart to your students. That's crucial to see. You did not purify your souls by loving people. Your souls got pure so that you could love people. So what is obedience to the truth that purified your souls? Well, what's the truth probably in these verses? Answer, the gospel, the word. Verse 25, that was preached to you. What does it mean to obey the gospel? Trust Jesus. That's the command of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you obey that, your souls get pure. That's why Acts says our souls are cleansed through faith. 
So by being attached to Jesus through faith, we are cleansed. All our sins are wiped away and his righteousness becomes ours and we're whole and pure and now we can love. That's verse 22. How did that come about? They were dead. The students to whom that happened were dead and blind. So how did that happen? And that's, that's what verse 23 explains. This happened since you have been born again. Being born again precedes and enables verse 22. Having been born again, you became obedient to the truth, got purified, started loving. 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes, that is, obeys the truth, has been born again. It's not the other way around. Theologies divide right here. That's why I'm on your side. This is called reformed theology. Getting our tenses right makes us reformed. I'll read it again. First John 5, 1. Everyone who believes has been born of God. Believing doesn't make you born of God. Being born of God enables you to believe. That makes campus outreach what it is. If you don't believe that, I'm not coming back. Seriously. I've got other things to do. Unless maybe you were waffling and wanted me to come persuade you. But I... I have devoted my life to strengthening your kind of hand. So believe in it with all my heart that that's true. I love the connection between verse 22 and verse 23 in 1 John, 1 Peter 1. It matters infinitely whether you believe God is decisive in this regeneration issue and enables these helpless, blind, dead students to live and see and believe, or whether you've got to talk them into it so that they can get born again as a result of their volition. Two vastly different theologies. Everyone who believes has been born again, which leads to this crucial question. What is your role in that miracle? You have been born again, verse 23, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Some people think that's the Holy Spirit. I'm inclined to think it is the Word, which is now going to be referred to. The theology doesn't change either way. I'd be really happy. I know the Holy Spirit's key in this process, but there are reasons I, want, I don't want to go into, so I'm, I'm happy to let that go either way. 
You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, either the Holy Spirit or the Word, through the living and abiding Word of God. No one, no one on the planet is born again except through the living and abiding Word of God. That's the first thing you know about agency. How does God do the miracle of new birth that enables you to believe the truth, that enables your heart to be pure, that enables you to start loving other people all over the world? How does He do that? Answer, through the living and abiding Word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8, in verses 24 and 25. All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains, remains. He just called it living and abiding. So now he's warranting that from Isaiah 40 so that it's living in the sense that it breaks in on these students' lives. It brings life. It's abiding so that it'll keep them forever. And then he adds one last piece, verse 25. Most important piece. These verses are the most important verses in the Bible for establishing the role of human beings in the miracle of regeneration. And that word, this word, is the good news that was preached to you. What is your role in raising the dead? Share the good news. What is your role in bringing sight to the blind? Speak the living and abiding Word of God summed up in the gospel that was preached to you. Nobody is born again without it. Which means that you are called to do what you cannot do, raise the dead, and give sight to the blind, and God has said He won't do it without you. I don't think that's a homiletical overstatement. Faith comes by hearing. and Hearing by the Word of Christ. How shall they hear? Without. Somebody talking might be on a recorder. Some human did that. Might be a tract. Some human did that. Might be an internet website. Some human did that. God saves nobody apart from human agency today. So, as impossible as it is to raise the dead and give sight to the blind, You weak, fallible human beings are indispensable. And I pray God will make you feel made much of in that statement. That's 1 Peter 1. And when it happens, you will say, glory be to God. You exist to glorify God 
by reaching the lost world. Bringing life to the dead and sight to the blind, which you can't do. You can't do. You're going to do it. And when it happens, you will fall down and praise your God. One more text. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Before I read it, give you one other verse to get you ready for it. I've been saying, you will do this, and then I'm saying it's impossible, and you wonder, don't you need to be more precise, more careful? Because you, you say on the one hand we can't do it, and then you say on the other hand we must do it. Listen to this. This is Paul talking to King Agrippa in Acts 26, verses 17 and 18, about what Jesus said to him when he knocked him off his horse on his way to Damascus. This is what Jesus said to him. I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith, purified by faith in me. So, yes, I'm going to say, Campus Outreach, God has sent you to open the eyes of the blind and raise the dead. I'm going to say it over and over again. I mean it. I mean it. God has sent you to do the impossible. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You go with God. When He does it through you, you fall down. He gets the glory. You get the joy. Now let's look at this text in 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Now pause this so you see where I've been, been thinking. 1 Peter 1, 22-25 dealt with the dead who need to be born again. And 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6, deal with the blind who need to see. And I'm asking in both cases, what's your role in making that happen? That's what I'm doing. So here we are in verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we Proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take those three verses. Here's what each one says, and I'll give it in a bullet, and then we'll unpack it for just a few minutes, and we'll be done. Verse 4 describes lostness in terms of blindness, right? The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So blindness is the condition of every student, all those 150,000 freshmen who aren't believers, they're coming blind. Verse 6 describes the remedy. Let there be light spoken by God Almighty 
in the human heart, just like he spoke it on the day of creation. And verse 5 is the link which you are between the blindness of verse 4 and the sight of verse 6, namely, we don't preach ourselves. We proclaim Christ as Lord. And that's the link between being blind and God's miracle of giving sight. Now, let's just take those one at a time. Verse 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the very image of God. That's the main problem your students have. The portrait of Christ in their minds is not bright. It is boring or mythical or irrelevant or threatening because they are blind to glory. Spiritual glory shining off the face of Jesus through the gospel in the Bible which won you over to trust Jesus because he became irresistibly attractive and beautiful and magnificent to you. They can't see it. They're blind. Satan is working overtime to keep them fascinated with everything else which is a bauble compared to what Jesus is. And it is a frightening thing to sit across the table and talk to them and look at their faces so blank, so unresponsive, so dead, so blind, and you feel so helpless because you are. Which is why when God uses you to bring light to their hearts, you will glorify God. How's that happen? Verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. He's referring back there to Genesis 1. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light, the light that we were blinded to in verse 4, blinded to the light, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What happens? This is the miracle. What happens when anybody gets saved? What happens when you got saved? Could have been in a thousand ways God did this. But the common denominator is there was a moment, a season, when you looked at Christ and it was not compelling. He wasn't compelling. Other things were compelling. Friends were compelling. Job was compelling. Drugs were compelling. Sex was compelling. Success was compelling. Sleep, sports, movies, compelling. Held your attention. Got your affections. Determined your life. And then the next day, or at night, you were praying, you were reading the Bible, you were taking a walk, and he was compelling. Which is compelling, like C.S. Lewis got on a bus, remember? Riding, 
toward the zoo, and he got off the bus believing. This is a miracle. God shines. God shines into our hearts to give sight to the glory of Christ. I've got to follow him. Look. He's love. He's strength. He's wisdom. Oh, I love the sermon called The Excellencies of Christ by Jonathan Edwards. Get it. Go online. It's all free. Everything Edwards ever wrote is free. Unbelievable. It's worth billions of dollars, and it's free. The Excellencies of Christ, and he just goes, goes all this long sermon of showing the juxtaposition of unlikely excellencies coming together in Jesus as in nobody else, and you all have been given eyes to see it. It's amazing. It's a miracle. Absolute, glorious, wonderful miracle that God does. And now the question, what's your role? And that's verse 5. For we proclaim, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Isn't it interesting that there's a, a, a word component and a, a, it looks like a deed component. The, the life of the messenger as a servant and the word of the messenger as Christ-exalting and Christ-focused, together lead to verse 6, and God makes that proclaimed Christ beautiful to the blind. And that's the miracle. So, in 1 Peter 1, 25, the living and abiding word was the gospel through which they were born again. And life came through the gospel. Here, the living and abiding word is the proclamation of Jesus in the mouth of a spirit-controlled servant, and it leads to light shining on the heart and causing it to see so that it's no longer blind. And now you have become the instrument of life, from the dead and sight from blindness. So, in conclusion, campus outreach, God is loving you. God is making much of you. By calling you to do the impossible and making you indispensable in it. Human beings, human witness is indispensable in the divine miracle of regeneration and the divine miracle of illumination. Human instruments are indispensable. God doesn't become a foreign missionary to the unreached peoples without humans. I don't care how many stories of dreams I hear, I'll never believe that God intends to evangelize an unreached people because of Romans 10. How shall they hear without a preacher? We are, we are made much of by God. We are loved that much. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news.
beautiful, made much of. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God in the mouth of fallible, sometimes failing human beings. You don't create faith, God creates faith. You don't create life, you don't create sight. God does. And when it happens, therefore, you say with Paul, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Therefore, he who plants and he who waters is nothing, but only God who gives the growth. Now, there's a little grammatical quiz here. Therefore, he who plants is nothing, and he who waters is nothing, but only God. But only God what? He left it out. What would you fill in? He who plants is nothing. He who waters is nothing, but only God. I fill it out. Is everything. Compared to my agency in raising the dead, compared to my agency in bringing sight to the blind, I'm nothing. God is everything. And then, wonder of wonders, He takes my nothing and makes it indispensable. Takes your nothing and makes it absolutely essential. Those students will come to Christ through a human agency, will believe, will be raised from the dead through a human word, or they won't come at all. And therefore, I pray that God will make you feel so loved and so crucial that you will be faithful to your mission. And when you do and when He works the miracle, you will go on your face and you will give Him glory and say, you get it all and the waterfall of joy will be all over you. So, Father, as we continue now to focus on reaching the lost, apply Your Word, the living and abiding Word of God, to embolden me, us, to open our mouths with expectation that we can do nothing, and You take our nothing and make it miraculous in giving life and sight. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.